A desperately sad week in UK ice hockey ended with some very emotional tributes to the late Adam Johnson at arenas over the past weekend. In this podcast episode, we'll look back at how the UK ice hockey community has come together in grief and cover all of the key talking points in the NHL from the past few days. Welcome to the Hockey With Ice podcast. My name is Matt Smith and this is the first proper edition of the new pod. So if you've listened to the trainer, nice to have you along. I put that up a week or so ago and unfortunately it does tie into the opening topic, of course, with the late Adam Johnson. So I had been looking to do the podcast. I've been planning it for a past month or so to build on the blog at hockeywithice.uk and also the YouTube channel Hockey With Ice. The reason I didn't go live with it at the same time at the start of the NHL uh, was because I needed to do a bit more work on it, a few features, and just kind of getting myself up to speed with it already rather than trying to do everything at once. And I'd been planning the launch for a while, so I was doing some work on it on Saturday. Saturday evening, I was kind of finalising things, really, and if you've done any podcast work, you'll know that means doing things like setting up all the distribution to Apple and Spotify and all of that stuff. So I was working out all of that, getting everything, everything ready to go for last Monday when I was going to put forward the first pod. And then, of course, that Saturday night, having done all of that work, I'd reached a nice natural point to stop. And I thought, well, I'll just have a quick look online to look at what had happened in the Saturday games in the Elite Ice Hockey League here in the UK. And was confronted by news that I struggled to take in and still a week on, it's still hard to believe has happened. The tragic accident at the game between the Sheffield Steelers and the Nottingham Panthers in which Adam Johnson sadly lost his life. So it didn't feel right to start a podcast last Monday. And to be honest, I just didn't feel like it. I... I guess like a lot of people in particularly in the UK ice hockey, it was such a such a a stunning un- unbelievable thing to happen. Shocking is the word, really. Shock. And I my heart goes out to everyone who was in the arena that night. Not just the people on the ice, but all of the, the crowd. So many messages on what we used to call Twitter. Just a, an awful, awful tragedy for everyone to have to go through. So I thought I'd give it a break and start this Monday. And yeah, still with a heavy heart, of course. But we move on in tribute to Adam Johnson and in the sport that we all love, hockey with ice. And if you don't know why it's called hockey with ice, I did put it in a trailer. This is because here in the UK, when we talk about hockey, most people think of field hockey. So this is hockey, the version with ice. And that's what we will be looking at today. So the plan is to do a couple of podcasts every week, two or three, depending on what's going on. It's a good time actually to do it because we're just now hitting the international break in a lot of the European leagues. So most of the leagues, such as in Sweden and Finland, they've stopped now and will start sort of a week on Wednesday, week on Thursday. So it's a good starting point over the next week for me to do a few pods on the European scene to catch up on where we are. But in today's, we'll have a look at the 
Adam Johnson tributes and then pile into lots of NHL news because there's, it seems like there's been quite a lot. It does feel like we are now fully into the NHL season, doesn't it? We're about a month in, getting on for a month in. And yeah, lots to cover. So let's start with news that it is difficult even to know what to say, isn't it? But the Elite Ice Hockey League did start up again in the UK over the weekend. The tragic news came out the previous Sunday when the official statement was the Elite Ice Hockey League is heartbroken to confirm that Nottingham Panthers forward Adam Johnson sadly passed away following a freak accident in Saturday's game between Sheffield Steelers and Nottingham Panthers. In light of this deeply upsetting news, the Elite League has postponed all games scheduled to take place on a Sunday. And of course, that rolled on a little bit. During the week, the other eight teams decided that they would like to get back to play and get back on the ice. And they did that over this past weekend. Of course, Sheffield and Nottingham still taking time to, to deal with everything that's happened. I say deal with, but to try in some ways to come to terms with what's happened. But there were a bunch of games, eight games over the weekend, and all of them were led off by very touching tributes to Adam Johnson. I know there were Sheffield Steelers fans, Nottingham Panthers fans at various games, some of them wanting to be back in the ice hockey arena, just to be around friends, to be in a familiar setting. Other people, particularly people who were at the arena when it happened, very much kind of struggling to to want to go into a rink again. And yeah, that that's, uh, as I said earlier, that's a, just an absolutely tragic, awful situation to be in. And will take time, I'm sure, for people to to kind of get, just to cope with it, I think, really, to, to try and get back to some sort of normalcy, to, to, to get back to wanting to go to a, an ice rink again after such a, such a traumatic event, let's be honest. But there were plenty of tributes, plenty of tears, plenty of celebration of what Adam Johnson did in his life and the joy he brought. And of course, that wasn't simply in the UK either. The Pittsburgh Penguins, who were the team who he played uh, a, a handful of games for in the NHL, put forward a very moving tribute. That was back, I think, on the previous Monday. I think it was Tuesday, sorry, in a game against Anaheim. Um, a really, really touching video they played out. And all of the, the players um, linked around the centre circle in honour of him. And we also saw that across European leagues as well in the Swedish Hockey League. All of the players and referees had a little um, little sticker on their helmets with his number on it. He did play for, uh, 21 games for Malmau in the 2020-21 season. So everyone really pulling together and understanding what a tragic incident it was and wanting to show their respect. What it means for hockey from there, I think, is very... Very still, still very much up in the air, really. We've the, the initial take from the UK ice hockey scene to implement neck protection and also wrist protection, of course, are things that, in a lot of ways, I I really don't think the UK ice hockey setup could do anything other than that. It's very sad to say, but this is the main piece of ice hockey news. That has hit the UK mainstream news in, well, for as long as I can remember. And it's understandable that that would happen. There is a sort of sort of 
ghoulish fascination with it, which is um, hard to come to terms with, really, but you can kind of understand it. So they had to do something. The, the sports in its the level that it's at in the UK, it had to show that they were doing something to make sure that, or at least to reduce the risk of this ever happening again for anyone who goes to the, watch ice hockey in this country, or particularly kids wanting to go and play, that there are new procedures, new protocols, new equipment out there that is going to significantly reduce the risk of this ever happening again. That's something we had to do in the UK. It is different in the NHL, of course, but here in the UK we had to do it, and it's the right thing to do, I think. Um, it is going to be optional in some areas, but you have to think a lot of people will lean that way and just think, why not, basically? Of course, in some leagues in Sweden and Finland, we know that they do mandate it already. And it is one of the curious things about the topic that I think it was the Guardian, actually. Yes, it was, who did um, wrote an article about it. And they mentioned in that that, for example, Moritz Seider, the fantastic German Defenseman plays for the Detroit Red Wings. In 2020, he was playing in Sweden and he got sliced around the neck area because he was wearing neck protection. It didn't really leave too much of a mark, but he has now gone back to not wearing that protection because he doesn't need to. It is a difficult one. We all know it's a matter of comfort. And in some people's eyes, I guess it's a little bit, this is what you do in junior hockey and now you're a man. You don't need to wear that protection. It seems bizarre to me, but again, it's people's individual choice, I guess. But it, it certainly has sparked the conversation. We know within the Pittsburgh Penguins' own organisation, Mike Sullivan, the head coach, said right after it that the AHL team, the ECHL team, he, that's Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins and the Weeding Nailers will all require their teams to wear neck and wrist guards to prevent such a thing from happening again. And discussions are ongoing in the NHL. There was a quote from Bill Daly, the Deputy Commissioner, which said he'd spoken to the NHL Players Association and said, we've been pushing, really pushing hard for cut-resistant materials and guards. It is an adjustment for them. We are strongly recommending cut-resistant materials, but it is something that is going to take some time, I think, for the players. And, and especially mid-season, here in the UK, because of what we've just been through, it makes complete sense to do it. Other than that there's kind of... Um, Issues in terms of just getting enough supplies in this country. So it's coming in around the end of the year, really. But in the NHL, you would expect, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you see from next season there being more of a, probably not a mandate, but more of a recommendation for players to do it. Last season, as an Edmonton Oilers fan, I saw the shocking incident, albeit on TV rather than in the arena, of Evander Kane having the issue where he was on the ice and had an ice skate over his wrist. And it was a bizarre incident because you couldn't really tell what had happened initially. All you saw was Patrick, um, Patrick Kane, Evander Kane, immediately jump up, holding his wrist and just getting straight off the ice as soon as possible whilst the game was still going on. You knew something bad was happening. Then you looked down and saw there was already a pool of blood on the ice. So that is something we know that there are different types of gloves that have different lengths of kind of protection and 
as was as is so often the case, you know, gloves are so important to the feel for hockey players, and some people just don't like having a bulky glove or a longer longer sleeve on the glove. And it is an adjustment, but you've got to look at these things and think the risks are there. The risks are potentially awful, and we've seen it now. It's not just, and it has happened before, sadly, but it's we've all been confronted by it again. This isn't just a once in a million. This could happen, and even if it is a once in a million. If it happens to you or it happens to your teammate or if it happens when you're sat in an arena with your kids watching ice hockey, anything that could be done to stop it happening or at least greatly reduce the risk of it happening or the risk of it being quite so serious if it happens has to be something that we all consider very seriously and want to take forward. So there we are. That is the... The memory of Adam Johnson, I know there is a, a celebration of his life in his birth city where he's from in Minnesota, I think it is today. I think, in fact, as I record this, actually. So very sad, very tragic. And just I can only wish every bit of good support and goodwill to his family and friends, everyone on the Steelers and the Panthers who have gone through this. And to hope that we come out of the other side and never forget Adam Johnson and everything he gave to the sport. And I'm sure that he will not be forgotten anytime soon. So from the sad, tragic news, Adam Johnson, we move on to the NHL and there is plenty of plenty of things to cover in the NHL right now. Lots and lots going on. Some good, some bad. So let's get cracking. So just before I started recording here and I'm recording this on what's the evening here in the UK on Monday, November 6th, the NHL.com website has put out the three stars of the week for the NHL. No real surprises in any of them. I know there are a few candidates you could have gone for. But first star was Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks. Second star, Cam Talbot. Yes, indeed, of the NA Kings. Lots of talk coming into the season about the Phoenix Copley-Cam Talbot pairing at the Kings and whether that was going to be good enough. But Cam Talbot has had a good week. And the first star is Mason McTavish of the Anaheim Ducks. And that brings me to what is my, I was going to say my first story, but let's call it the second story, which is the big result from Sunday night in the NHL. There are only two games. One of them was a real shocker in some ways, but it was the Anaheim Ducks being the team that ended the Vegas Golden Knights run at the start of the season. Vegas Golden Knights had come into the game. They beat Colorado Avalanche, absolutely thumped them 7-0 on Saturday night. Yet to be beaten in regulation time. And then they had a back-to-back against Anaheim. Of course, a team coming into the season, nobody's expecting anything from, really. But they came and did it. They were 2-0 down, came back, scored four unanswered goals in the third period to be the first team to beat the Vegas Golden Knights in regulation. And what a result it was for them. The Ducks were in their beautiful purple jerseys. I do like them. I think they're a great look. And they did the job. Alex Kalorn, their main signing, or well, one of their main signings. He was a guy, just looking through the details again. 
It was the the biggest contract given out to any forward uh, as a free agent over the offseason, which, let's be honest, is a bit of an overpay for Alex Coulon. Good player that he is. Not really a, a needle mover, you would say, but he's brought some experience into the group, but he's been out injured, broke his finger, I think it was. It was a finger injury, wasn't it? Yes, fractured his finger in pre-season. So finally made his debut, and what a debut it was to be part of. Really good win for Lair. Mason McTavish scored the go-ahead goal to make it 3-2. And Lair and Sam Carrick scored with the empty netter for a second goal of the game. So, fantastic. And it's been a really good start for the Anaheim Ducks. 7-4-0, 14 points. They are fourth in the Pacific Division, which is not where you would expect them to be. And even if we may need to be cautious about overemphasising just how much they are going to keep this going and how long it is going to last. To me, that doesn't matter. We know they're very unlikely to be a playoff contender when it comes to the crunch. But that's why you should enjoy this moment as much as you can right now. You know it's going to be a difficult season. They're rebuilding again and enjoy it while it lasts. That's definitely the way to go. Enjoy the young talent, not least Leo Carlson, the second overall pick from the draft earlier this summer. Swedish star and he's made a, a solid enough start. He's had a few injuries and the team are taking a very cautious approach, but it seems like a very sensible one in resting him here and there and just letting him settle into the NHL physically and mentally. Such a big leap for him as an 18-year-old. But he's coming and he does look like a real prospect as a potential number one centre on both sides of the ice, really good player. So good to see him going well and good to see the Ducks going well. Good for them. There's always another side to the coin, though, isn't there? And the Anaheim Ducks Pacific Division rivals, the San Jose Sharks. Well, you couldn't get further from that. We thought the Ducks weren't going to be very good and they've actually been surprisingly decent so far. We knew the San Jose Sharks were going to be terrible and they have been and boy, have they hit rock bottom in the last couple of days. Back-to-back losses with each one conceding 10 goals. Unbelievable. I mean, there's bad and then there's shockingly bad. Talk about the wheels coming off. And the, the wheels were never put on this car. They have completely just disappeared, disintegrated before our very eyes. And in some ways, the tragic thing was it was 10-1 to Vancouver Canucks at home on Thursday. They were 10-0 down before they scored their goal. Fabian Settleton scoring power play goal with just four minutes to go. So absolute nightmare conceded. Four in the first period, four in the second period. Just just total lunacy. Uh, Quinn Hughes, number one star of the week, got a goal and four assists in this one game. The Sharks' 10th loss in a row. And Nico Sturm, the forward, said after the game, and I quote, I've never been in a situation like this. I don't think any of us have, to be honest with you. I suppose the one good thing is that this is about as low as it's going to get. So I suppose that's the only positive in this situation. Well, Nico, you weren't quite right, were you? Because two days later, Saturday night, they welcome Eric Carlson back with the Pittsburgh Penguins and they get done up 10 to 2. 10 to 2. I mean, you could say it was a little bit closer. They only lost by eight in this one. Absolutely unbelievable to lose two games 
conceding 10 goals in each. So they are off to the second worst start in NHL history, according to NHL.com. Only in the 1943-44 New York Rangers, who started 0-14 with one tie, have had a worse start. So there's something they can try to avoid, at least. Mackenzie Blackwood allowed six goals on 18 shots before being replaced. Nightmare. It is a nightmare. I mean, nightmare for any goaltender in that team. But where do you go from there? Of course, everyone is looking at San Jose Sharks as being a team looking ahead to the amateur draft next summer. Not least because of the top prospects currently on most people's rankings. It's a guy called Macklin Celebrini, who is at Boston University. But his father, Rick Celebrini, works for the Golden State Warriors as director of sports medicine and performance. So there certainly is a Bay Area link there that gives the Sharks even more incentive to get the number one pick for next summer. But, well, if they're, if that's what they're going for, they're going for it pretty well. They're doing a good job because they are hopelessly bad. And it's a real shame for Sharks fans, make no doubt about that. But you can't lose back-to-back games conceding 10 goals. That is just ridiculous, isn't it? So can they break the streak? I mean, that is... Talk about a, a pre-game talk from a coach for their next game. Let's try and keep it to single figures, lads. That's the goal. Jesus wept. Bad times for the San Jose Sharks. Now, talking about goals, one of the things I was going to pick up on here, one of the curious things, there are lots of curious things as a UK ice hockey fan that I like to pick out, and I'll be picking out plenty over the weeks and months ahead, I'm sure. But one of them is that you don't really get own goals in ice hockey. Own goals are unfair we're going to give the credit to an offensive player, whatever the situation. And you do get some weird and wonderful goals, don't you? So if you've got a favourite goal that got credited to a player when it really seems bizarre that it was, they got it by default, basically. Do let me know on Twitter at HockeyWithIce or go to the website HockeyWithIce.uk and fill in the contact us form. I'd be interested to hear what you think, or indeed, if you're watching on YouTube, stick it in the comments too. But one that really came to mind, it really brought it to the fore for me, came the other day. It was Thursday night, Florida against Detroit Red Wings, and it was Stephen Lawrence. I think it's how you pronounce it, or Lawrence. His first goal of the season, in fact, his first goal since signing for the Florida Panthers, and it was bizarre, wasn't it? It was goalless in the second period, if you saw this one. He drifted in on the left, put a shot on net. I mean, not completely innocuous, but pretty regulation for the goaltender. In this case, James Reimer. It flipped out of his trapper, out of his glove. The puck went up in the air, came back down behind him, hit the face of the crossbar, then hit Reimer on his ass. And then as he brought his two legs together behind him, it hit his left foot, then the right skate, and went in. It was amazing. You couldn't do that if you tried. And I will say, Stephen Lawrence did have the good grace to look sheepish after this. He had a little sheepish smile on his face. Like, I, I can't celebrate that. It may come in part because he was teammates with James Reimer at the San Jose Sharks last season. So he probably didn't want to milk it too much. But that was bizarre. If you've got your own favourite goal, bizarre goal, let me know. Any good ones from recent history or long ago, let me know. 
Another man who was in the goals, Nino Niederreiter. Pick out his hat-trick. Austin Matthews is the hat-trick king at the moment. But Nino Niederreiter deserves a bit of praise here. 5-3 win for the Winnipeg Jets against Arizona, and he got himself a hat-trick. And it came to mind for me, because watching back the highlights, I mean, you would struggle to score a hat-trick whilst hitting the puck a shorter distance than Nino Niederreiter went in this one. The first two, he was out in front and, you know, you got to got to be in there, be in it to win it. If you don't buy a ticket, you don't win a raffle, do you? So he was out in front of the net, working hard, taking the checks, tipping things into the back of the net. So that's fair enough. But the third goal, I mean, that was the very definition in football terms of a goal hanger, absolute goal hanger poacher. So short came in from the point. Lowry redirected it onto the goal. It went underneath the goaltender, um, Fimelka, and it looked like it was going to go over the line, but it literally just froze. It froze on the line with like a quarter of the puck still to go. It just stopped. And either I was stood there and go, well, I'll just, I'll just flick it over then, won't I? And he did say, to be fair to him, he didn't know if it was going to go over, so he needed to make sure. He said it didn't matter who scores. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. But it didn't look like it was going to go over, to be fair. So he nudged it home to complete the hat-trick. Incredible. And a nice little European link there, isn't it? Because it's his third hat-trick in the NHL. And among Spitzborn players, only Timo Meyer has had more hat-tricks in the NHL. Timo has four. So there we go. A nice hat-trick for Niederreiter. There was some talk that he is interested in an extension with Winnipeg. I bet he is. Especially after a hat-trick. Get him while he can, mate. So good for him. Talking about hat-tricks. Yes, Matthews. Austin Matthews got another hat-trick at the weekend as part of the Toronto Maple Leafs game against Buffalo Sabres. Although the Maple Leafs did lose this one, of course. Six to four. Buffalo Sabres doing pretty well. There's a lot of frustration in Toronto at the moment, isn't there? And that's not unusual, let's be honest. There is always a drama around the corner. There's either a drama right now or there is drama around the corner in Toronto. And there's certainly been, it's not been quite the start they were hoping for. And there's various comments about the team being a bit soft and not sticking up for each other on the eyes. Obviously, uh, Brad Marchand causing trouble for the Bruins at the other game and whether they really retaliated or should have done and all of that nonsense. So lots to talk about there. Alongside the Buffalo Sabres, though, good win for them, 6-4. Buffalo Sabres, you can put them alongside Ottawa Senators, really, because they're the two teams in that division who are everyone's trendy pick to take the next step and to do it this season to get into the playoffs. To be fair, it's not really gone that way for the Ottawa Senators so far. And this past week has been, frankly, a total nightmare for them because they ended up firing their general manager, Pierre Dorian. Now, this seemed to be coming, let's be honest. Ownership change, bringing in his own people, you did think he would be on borrowed time. But... It all came out on Wednesday when the NHL announced that Ottawa would have to forfeit a first-round pick because of the bizarre situation with Evgeny Dadanoff, where he was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Dorian didn't give over details of his no-trade clause, the 10 teams on it, and when the Golden Knights tried to trade him to the Anaheim Ducks, it was voided by the NHL Commissioner's Office. 
So lots of ramifications. This was basically 18 months ago. And this was the thing you own up Michael and Lauer. I think it is Michael and Lauer, yes. Uh, he was very unhappy, very unhappy with NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman for the fact that it took so long. And it he he's basically had to carry the can for it. Um, be interesting to see how long he remains so outspoken. Most owners tend to fall into line pretty quickly, don't they? But maybe he'll be an exception. But yes, that was the last straw for Michael and Lauer, who has relieved Dorian of his duties with Steve Stairs, who'd been brought in, well known to the owner. He is going to take over temporarily whilst they sort something out. Yeah, difficult times. And th- 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 there's been a bit of angst there. Of course, we've had the Shane Pinto situation where he, they couldn't come to a contract deal with him. And then there was the betting suspension. So it, it feels like it's been quite chaotic behind the scenes. And it's unsurprising that a new owner would want to put a stamp on things and to clean house and bring in his own people. But it does feel like Dorian has basically made a rod for his own back by some of the things that he hasn't done. And unfortunately, that's that's just the nature of this. And let's be honest, it's not been going brilliantly on the ice either. There's been various rancor, really, around the team. Brady Kachuk was talking about it the other day. Fans are not really seeing... I think the thing is, there was expectation coming into this season. More expectation than there has been in many a year in Ottawa. And the fact that it's not really coming together as yet is a big disappointment to everyone. So... There's still a long, long way to go in this season. I'm sure they'll turn it around, but plenty, plenty of intrigue in Ottawa right now and what is going to happen. With all of that, we have to cover the always difficult news, which is injury dues, and there has been a few key ones. None more so than Jack Hughes. One of those injuries that it doesn't matter who you support, you are gutted that Jack Hughes is on the shelf at the moment. One of the most exciting young players in the league was leading the league in points before Friday's game against St. Louis, crashed into the boards. It was no one else's fault. He was doing what he does, right? Gliding between a couple of defensemen, trying to get a shot on net, lost an edge, slid into the boards, whacked himself head first. And he did come back onto the ice briefly and played, I think, as part of a power play, but then went off, didn't come back in the game. Now, It was announced on Sunday that he is week to week with an upper body injury. It's still fairly vague as to what that means. Was it a head injury? Is it a shoulder injury? There was word coming out on Saturday that it wasn't as bad as they thought it was. They'd avoided worst case scenario, but we don't know really what that worst case scenario was. Other than done for the season. So he's out week to week. Does that mean two weeks? Four weeks, eight weeks, who knows? But such a big miss for the Devils, who've started really well, as expected, but none more so than Jack Hughes. So hopefully he will be back on the ice sooner rather than later. But it is weird how they've been quite vague about it all. It does give you some reason for concern that maybe it's a little bit worse than we would all like to think. Another man who is out and a leading player, in that division is Adam Fox. He's been placed on a long-term injured reserve list by the New York Rangers because of a... I personally feel just an accident. Some fans have been having a go at Sebastian Ajo because of it. It was just a collision. I, when I watch it, I'm interested in your thoughts. 
did it look deliberate to you? Do you think he was putting his leg out to stop Adam Fox? I, I don't think he did. I, I, I just think it was a coming together, an unfortunate incident, a sort of thing that happens in a game and often doesn't lead to anything. But unfortunately, in this case, it's led to a lower body injury. He will be out for two to four weeks. So probably back late November, you suspect. But he had been rapid in terms of point scoring so far this season. Yes, most of them being on the power play, just looking at the looking at the stats, nine of his points came on the power play so far. But that's what they do. Chris Kreider out there in front of net. Um, Panarin, who has started the season really well, really looking good. Zabinajad, um they've just got so many weapons on that team. But Adam Fox is a difference maker. You know when you face the Rangers and you don't have to deal with Adam Fox, especially on a power play, that's a big boost for any opponent facing them. So it's a big loss for them over the next two to four weeks. But they've got some good players there, haven't they? You expect them to just hold serve. That's what they need to do over the next few weeks. Every team has to deal with injuries at some point. And if they can hold serve, then they can get Adam Fox back and get rocking and rolling quickly enough too. Any other guy I'm going to pick out in terms of injuries what a shame this is for Sam Bennett out again for the Florida Panthers. Started the season out injured with a lower body injury, missing the first seven games of the season. Finally got back playing in his first game. And it was another one that was just unfortunate against the Boston Bruins. Hampers Lindholm just, just, it was completely accidental, just landed on him. Uh, but as you watched it back, as soon as you saw the replay, oh, his ankle went and you just thought, oh, that does not look good. So he is week to week with a lower body injury, presumably his ankle. Had only been back for eight minutes on the ice and then that is him out again. So a real shame for him. Worked so hard to get back out there as soon as he could to have an unfortunate accident like that put him out again. Yeah. Really tough for him and tough for the Panthers. Finally, we're going to look at a couple of suspensions before we wrap up this pod for the day. The first one, Andrew Mongiapone. What do you think about this incident? They announced late on Sunday that he's been given a one-game suspension. I think that's a little bit light, to be honest with you. If you didn't see it, go and check it out on NHL.com. But incident... It was Calgary Flames beating the Seattle Kraken 6-3 on, I think it was Saturday night, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And he was at the end of a long shift, went for a shot. Jared McCann blocked it. Jared McCann fell to the ice. Puck was underneath him, probably playing the game a little bit there and keeping the puck underneath him. Mojiapone was annoyed, so bent down, cross-checked him over the neck, back of the neck, ramming his face into the ice. Just a gutless move, you have to say. It was completely deliberate. It was a ridiculous thing to do. He just completely lost his head by all accounts. Now, I thought he'd get a couple of games for it. He's only got one game suspension. And looking at the details, the NHL Department of Player Safety said um, the league accepted Mongeapone's contention that he wasn't intending to drive head into the ice. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure why they believe that. Acknowledge that the Flames forward didn't use his full extension of arms or body weight. Well, that's nice of him. He only, he only half clobbered him rather than fully clobbered him. Good. 
Um, he was deemed to have full body control, resulting in the decision to suspend him. Do note that it's the first suspension of his career. He's not that sort of player. So I think it was just red mist coming down or whatever it was. So I had to forfeit just over 30k in salary as well. So a bit lucky in my book. What do you think? Do you think he should have got more? Do you think he should have got a suspension at all? Let me know. And finally, Charlie McAvoy. This one still rumbles on, although it looks like he's just going to have to serve that four-game suspension. I did not like this one bit. An illegal check on Oliver ekman Larson. It was an ugly one. It definitely deserved a a multi-game suspension, and that's what he got, a four-game suspension. Video explanation by the Department of Player Safety said, it's important to note that both elements of the illegal check to the head rule are satisfied on the play. First, the head is the main point of contact as McAvoy makes direct forceful contact with Ekman Larson's head. Second, the head contact on this play is avoidable. It definitely was. McAvoy just lined him up and went for him as far as I'm concerned. So they did challenge it, but it doesn't look like it's going to get anywhere. Um, he has had a suspension before, which plays against him. And of course, it's bad news for the Bruins because back Rizlik is out too. So, yeah, interesting situation. Not what the Bruins wanted. I mean, the Bruins have started this season really well. Lots of people looking at the retirements of Bergeron and Croce thought, well, and especially after the historic season they had last year, they're going to have to take a step back. People were kind of being pretty down on the Bruins, really, whether they would even get in the playoffs again. But they've started the season very well. But, yes, they need to clean things up there a bit, Charlie McAvoy. Deservedly getting a suspension. And uh, a bit of time on a naughty step for him to uh, think about what he's done. Well, there we go. Let's think about what we've done. We have done the first proper podcast. So I'm glad to get this one done. I'm going to be developing it over the season. Uh, I've got various features that I'm going to be doing, regular features that I'm going to be adding in as we move along. So look out for those ones. The plan, as I mentioned earlier, is to do two or three a week. We'll see. I'm generally trying to go for two a week. Probably one on Monday, then one on Thursday or Friday, but then chucking in an extra one if some big news story or something comes up. So look out for those. Do subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to be notified when the next one comes out online. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, you can subscribe, of course, to the YouTube channel and hit the notification bell so you are reminded when the latest one goes live. And... I will talk to you later on this week. I am planning to do a podcast probably on the Thursday evening, maybe Friday. I'll let you know on the Twitter at Hockey with Ice. But there's plenty to catch up on across the European leagues. I'll be doing a deep dive into Sweden and Finland during this international break. So look out for that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Do get in contact for the Get In Contact page at hockeywithice.com. It, oh, sorry, hockeywithice.uk is the actual address or on Hockey With Ice on Twitter or X, if you want to call it that. Nice to hear from you all, and I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening.